is mindfulness? Is it a panacea that will heal our world? Is it a tradition corrupted? Is it for everyone? As mindfulness continues to soar in popularity, many different interpretations have arisen. Hahnemann Goleman posed a series of questions to leaders who are shaping the movement in the hope of offering a broader perspective of the mindfulness landscape. Lama Surya Das is one of the foremost meditation teachers and scholars of Western Buddhism, and one of the main interpreters of Tibetan Buddhism in the West. He's the author of 13 books, including Awakening the Buddha Within, Tibetan Wisdom for the Modern World, and most recently, Buddha Standard Time. In this fourth conversation, Surya Das discusses the potential for a healthy, creative tension between the traditional preservation of mindfulness, its popular innovation, and ultimately, adaptation. Alongside the growth in popularity of mindfulness, do you see any hidden danger? Uh, yes, but I don't think they're hidden, at least to those of us who are involved in these things. Also, this is not new. This is, I mean, if you step back to like a historical or sociological perspective, these things have always happened as Buddhism or religions move through time and from one culture to another. And there's always the creative tension between among the preservers and conservatives, the conservers who are worried about things changing and getting lost and getting diluted and being sold and mixed motivation and all that and getting far from the source to the other extreme, which is the everything new is the best and, you know, total innovation and throw out the traditions and try new all the time. So I think there's a creative tension and it's healthy between preservation and adaptation and innovation, not versus, not preservation versus adaptation. And this has happened with uh, even Western religions coming to America, well, with Catholicism and Protestantism and then American forms of Christianity like Quakers and Mormons and these same arguments and discussions go on. And some of the dangers, I would say more like the challenges and opportunities. The opportunities are that there's new ways to address the age-old timeless questions and problems with these ancient tried-and-true techniques. But they're timeless so they can adapt. They can, like water adapts to the conditions, but it's still H2O, whether it's frozen or flowing or steam and so on. So as uh, mindfulness and also yoga and Eastern thought comes to the West, experiencing some of the same issues and problems and arguments and that Judaism has, the Orthodox Jews, rabbis in Israel don't accept the female rabbis who were shmirchid, authorized, trained in America, and they don't think Reform Judaism is really a part of Judaism, and they don't recognize marriages by Reform rabbis in America. You know, it's the same old crap. And I don't need to mention the Vatican and that kind of thing, how much they hated and excommunicated Meister Eckhart and Luther and everybody else, even to recently Hans Kung and other great theologians, and the Cardinal Ratzinger, who became the last pope before Pope Francis, Pope Benedict, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, called in an official message to the whole Catholic world. So he sent that to a billion people, this encyclical, saying, among other things, that yoga is the devil's work. So it's an example of the tension between the conservative, preservative, 
you know, formaldehyde folks, and if you want to put it down, and the lunatic fringe of the early adapters and innovators. So this is a new country. We have melting pot karma, so we end up having melting pot dharma, eclectic and innovative and, you know. So specific to... Gender, more gender equal, breaking some of the taboos about no female priests and, and other things. So specific to the mindfulness tradition, um, <clears throat> mindfulness is becoming very popular. So the scientists are studying it and the army is using it to help develop resiliency in their caregivers who were so traumatized on the battlefields and this is a great tool. But like yoga, it also has a lot of spiritual dimensions that people like me and you, I think, believe and hope won't get lost. It doesn't mean that having yoga for exercise in a YMCA is a bad thing. It's a great thing. And a lot of athletes do yoga. And Ted Danson, the actor, told me he learned yoga and did it when he was at Juilliard studying music and acting in the 60s and 70s. So, you know, this has been around for a while. So now mindfulness is coming and people want to scale it into the malls like the yoga studios. And my only concern is that it loses the liberating spiritual essence, and it's only like yoga for health and to look better. Kind of mindfulness can become reductionistic or reduced to like a daily mental floss, good for, I don't know, mental health. Now, mental health is a big thing. There's a lot of mental illness in this country, and I don't have to tell you statistics. I'm sure your father has engraved those into your, the left side of your brain about whatever it is, the five or 10 million prescriptions for Ritalin in school children and the 30 or 40 million prescriptions for antidepressants in Americans today. So mental health is an issue. So mental force for mental health would be great, but still enlightenment and cosmic consciousness, oneness with God, the things that the traditions talk about, the perennial philosophy outside and beyond religion even, this should not be lost as the background or kind of the mindfulness 3.0 and 4.0, not just mental floss, mindfulness 1.0. And given that, then I think it's great. There'll always be the popularizers who spread it, and a lot of people get a little benefit or good benefit, and then there's the more the specialists or the, you know, the dyed-in-the-wool um, traditionalists who drill deep. So there's the broad where the many get a lot get a little. And then there's the deep ones who have a few students or disciples or have three-year retreats or three-month retreats or you know, five- and ten-year trainings, not just like one-month training. And those people may be hopefully getting spiritual realization, enlightenment, become wise elders in the society, which our culture so sorely needs, because wisdom is, seems to me an endangered natural resource. And uh, we haven't even named it as such yet, and it's kind of dying out in the modern world, which is in the information age. It's like called the over-information age. So much information and learning and thinking. We think so much we understand the know so little, not to mention spiritual realization, illumination, being one with ourselves, self-knowledge, you know, character development, and so forth. The things that the mindfulness tradition is based in and comes with. I'm not even just talking about Buddhism, but the loving kindness, the compassion, the connectedness, the friendly appreciation and non-judgmentalism, which is so conducive to a more harmonious, sane, and peaceful world. 
So I wouldn't want it to just be see mindfulness being sold like a TM mantra, stripped of everything else that TM, Transcendental Meditation Mantras, come out of. The whole Hindu background of yoga and ethics and devotion and prayer and service and and um, the bigger picture of all beings and many lives, and including animals, and so forth. So I think that's one downside, the reductionistic and commercialist aspect. And it's kind of what we do in America. Things have become commodified and sold. But that's also how they become known about. So my books get sold by New York publishers, and hundreds of thousands of people literally buy them and read them. I might like to give them out for free, but I can't stand on a corner and give out hundreds of thousands. Or me and my friends can't, even if we were crazy enough to try to do it. And moreover, the stuff that you give out free on the corner, people, if they're polite, they'll take it, but then probably throw it out in the next wastebasket on the next corner. So people value in this culture what's sold and what's called something, what has a name and a title and a resume. And so working with the culture to adapt and taking the living essence and passing it on in the new forms. Old wine in new bottles is not a bad thing. But the dangers are there. If people don't know how to handle old wine, you know, like maybe old wine shouldn't be, I don't know what, heated and refrigerated too much. Just let it mature. Maybe old wine shouldn't be mixed with ice cubes. I don't know, just for example. Maybe old wine vines need to be planted in sunny Napa Valley and not in snowy Vermont to grow. We need a little of the knowledge of where these things are coming from, what they are, for a future to be really meaningful and possible, the future of enlightenment, the future of mindfulness as an enlightening as well as mental health tool. I think that's a danger. Commodification and commercialization, reductionism and over-scientism, like only what can be measured with the best machinery we have today is what could be considered real. That's okay in some fields, but in this evergreen, timeless, ancient spiritual field, it's a little premature, in my opinion. In my opinionated opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Visit morethansound.net to hear more What is Mindfulness conversations and to download mindfulness practices. That's morethansound.net.